In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. My beloved, the uh, readings for the month of Tuba all revolve around the salvation of humanity. Of course, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, or to the uh, believers and non-believers alike. Uh, in today's Gospel, the Church chose for us the passage from Luke chapter 11. And it's a very interesting one. We'll find that the Lord, or this passage opens up by a woman a random woman coming to the Lord and giving him like a blessing or a praise, saying, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. Right before her commenting this, the Lord was speaking or uh, defending himself because there are people that accuse him of casting out Satan or the demon by Beelzebub, who is the leader of the demons. So he was warning them and the people not to reject him as a deceiver, somebody who is deceiving them like uh, Satan. And then this woman comes and she offers him this blessing. Uh, and this kind of blessing is very custom, especially in the Middle East, to bless someone, uh, bless the parents of someone. And on the same way, also maybe the worst kind of you know curse is to curse someone's mother or father. So this was a blessing that she was giving him. However, it can be understood in one of two ways. It can be understood as a blessing or praise, to his actual, you know, biological parents, or Mary, uh, Saint Mary, and that she did a great job raising such a man like this. The other opinion is that it could be a praise to the uh, Jewish system or the faith that raised such a wise, you know, young man like this. And most likely, based on the context, it's the second. It's a praise for, as they say, like uh, the mother of the the Jew, the Jewish people. Um al I think they say that in Arabic, which is like the mother of the Jews or the, the Jewish uh, nation. Uh, because in his response, the Lord responded and said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And the rest of the passage would have to be about this idea about hearing the word of God and keeping it. So most likely he's referring here not to St. Mary, of course, but to uh, the idea of, the, of her praising the Jewish nation. Um, and what the Lord wanted to establish was that one doesn't find favor with God through biology. Like, the Jews had this idea that we are favored by God because we're just children of Abraham and Moses. And this is what makes us blessed or favored by God. And the Lord wanted to correct that. And He said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what makes us blessed and find favor before God is not of our lineage, because maybe we're Coptic Christians and we grew up Coptic Christians, but because we hear the word of God and we do it. Um, then the Lord turned his attention to the crowd of people that were around them. And he said something um, maybe that may have caught our attention. He says, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. So I'll speak briefly this morning about finding light in the peril of an evil generation. And we'll find here that Christ described that generation as an evil generation. So what made this generation evil in his eyes? And let's see if we can learn a little bit something from it. The first thing he says is that they they were seeking a sign. Okay, you might say, what's the big deal about this? They wanted some miracle. They wanted to see something from him. What's the big deal? Why is that so bad? When they were asking for a sign... It's not because there was a lack of sign, 
but that they wanted God or they wanted the Lord to follow their request. They wanted to call the shots and they, they wanted to say, okay, Lord, jump. And he was supposed to say what? How high, right? They wanted to be the master and him be the servant or the slave, right? They wanted to be the ones in control of how God would reveal himself to them. And it must fit their understanding and their uh, vision. And sometimes we might say, wow, that's pretty, pretty bad. But sometimes, you know, you and I, unwillingly or unwittingly, we might do the same thing. For example, um, when we pray for something, and immediately once we receive the request, we stop praying. What is this doing? As if we're treating God like a genie. We rub the lamp, we pray a little bit, and we make the request. And when he grants the request, okay, I don't need the genie anymore, put him back in the lamp, and that's it. Right? Or sometimes when we pray and we don't receive what we request from Him, then we begin to defriend God. We begin to unlike Him. We don't pray. We don't come to church. We get upset with Him. Right? Again, we want Him to be our servant and slave and us be the master. Um, another way that the seeking of a sign wasn't uh, good was that uh, they wanted Him to work or his work should fit into the mold that they have created in their own mind. They said, okay, the Christ or the Messiah should appear and do A, B, and C based on what we think should happen. And this is exactly what happened with Naaman the Syrian. If you remember when he had leprosy uh, and he knew about how Elisha was a prophet in Israel and he could, you know, did miracles and so on. So he was, he, his, uh, his master convinced him to go and seek Elisha. So he went there. When he knocked on the door, he and his servant, one of the servants of Elisha, guess he came down and said, how can we help you? And he told them what's going on. Elisha said, okay, go have them dunk in the Jordan seven times and he'll be healed. And then the servant went, Gehazi went and told Naaman. And when he said this, he became very angry. And why is he angry? Because he expected him, Elisha, to come down. I'm coming from the king. So should come down out of respect for me. He should wave his hand in front of me, say some kind of prayer, and then I'll be healed. Right, And he was very angry, and thankfully he had a faithful servant who said, you know what, Master, if they would have told you to do something difficult, you would do it. This is easy, just go for it. So he went and did it, and then he was healed. Again, sometimes we have the same thing. We have an idea of how God should work in my life. When I pay for this, or I pay for someone, or I pay for someone to be removed from my life, it should happen X, Y, and Z. We want to be the master, and him be the slave. Another reason why um, seeking a sign wasn't uh, wasn't good is that they um, they were a bit they were lying to themselves. Was it really the sign that the people of Israel who were criticizing him is that really what they were seeking or not? And what they were seeking was what give us a sign um, so we can believe in you, right? And actually, the same sign that they requested was already publicly manifested in the feast yesterday when he was in the waters of the Jordan. He had a sign from heaven, right? The voice came from heaven, said, This is my beloved son. And the dove came and rested upon him. Then you had the witness of St. John the Baptist saying, This is the one whom you should follow. And the disciples of John, he encouraged them to follow the Lord Jesus. What more do you want? Right? But this wasn't it. Because it wasn't a sign that they were really after. Because they had an abundance of signs. And if you think about it, what signs did the Lord do? He meant many miracles that again only God could do 
He created, for example, food for the 5,000 uh, that, um, that he gathered together in the wilderness. He created eyes for the man who was born blind. Um, he controlled the wind and the sea. He walked on water. He raised the dead. All of these things are signs of his divinity. What more signs do you want? Is it a sign that you're really after or not? And of course, we had his teaching, teachings who enlightened not only the people, the Jews, but also the Gentiles and actually the whole world afterwards. Even people who are non-believers, who don't believe in Christianity, they witness to the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we ask ourselves the question, were they really seeking a sign and this would be all that they needed? Think about the story of the rich man and Lazarus. If you remember that story, after both the rich man and Lazarus died, the rich man, of course, goes to Hades and the, uh, Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom or to paradise. And he asks uh, Abraham to send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool him. And Abraham said, no, there's a great distance between us, can't do that. So he said, okay, I have five brothers. I have uh, Lazarus go warn them so they don't come to this place of torment. And then Abraham says, no, I can't do that either because they have the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. They have the written commandment and have the commandment that's verbal. In case somebody can't read or is ignorant, they can hear, right? And he said, okay, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And in response, Abraham said to him, what? If they do not hear Moses in the prophet, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So he told them, what? If they don't hear the written word, nor the spoken word, even if somebody is risen from the dead, they will not hear him. And if you think about this, the Lord's choice of names in this uh, passage, it's Lazarus, right? And what would happen later was that Christ would raise Lazarus from the dead. Did all the Jews believe? No, it's actually after the resurrection of Lazarus that they said we have to put this guy to death. So it wasn't a sign that they were after. It wasn't a sign. They were deceiving themselves and lying to themselves. This is one of the ways that made this generation be characterized as a wicked and evil generation because they deceived themselves and they began to believe it. We must be very careful not to believe the lie and to be misled by the lie. The second is the sign of Moses. Or I'm sorry, the sign of uh, Jonah. How does this make them an evil generation? He says, For as Jonah became the sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The character of, the character of Jonah himself was the sign. If you think about it, none of the Ninevites witnessed the miracle that happened with Jonah. He was on the boat with the sailors, then thrown in the sea, then went to the bottom of the sea in the belly of the uh, whale or the great fish, and then he was spat on dry land, then he finally went to Nineveh. So none of the Ninevites witnessed this. But they just heard about it, and they heard about it, and they believed it. And then when Jonah came to, you know, warn them of the destruction, eminent destruction of their city, they all believed and put on sackcloth sackcloth and ashes. Um, they believed without any kind of sign from Jonah. When the Lord Jesus was preaching to them, he preached to them things maybe that were radical for them. For example, the forgiveness of sin. When he came to the paralytic man, he told him, your sins are forgiven. He said, how can you forgive sin? You know, only God can do that. And he said, okay, which is easier, to tell him your sins are forgiven or to rise up and walk? And to prove that he was able to forgive sin, he made that which was more difficult for them to believe in the healing of the man who was paralytic. And he said, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And he did it. Why? 
to verify the forgiveness of sins that just had occurred, right? But they didn't believe. They saw signs and they were verified signs, but they didn't believe. And you compare that to Jonah and you find they repented immediately. Um, and if you recall in the story of Jonah, as the king of Nineveh responded to Jonah, he saved the nation in his response. Because the people then, he instructed the people to put on sackcloth and ashes and, and to repent. And the same way the Lord wanted the people of Israel or the leaders of Israel to be like the king of Nineveh, who through them there would come salvation to the, to their own people. That's why he wanted them. He called them an evil generation. Jonah and the, and the leader of the Ninevites, they responded when God called them and they repented. And then he expected the Jewish leaders to do the same. They respond, they also respond when they're called to repentance, but they didn't. They didn't come to the Jordan to be baptized like the rest of the people. The person of Christ should have been sufficient for the Jews and those who were there uh, to elicit the response of repentance, just as it was in the time of Jonah. This is why the Lord tells us, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the beginning of his ministry. And he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The people of Nineveh, they repented. There's also the sign of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus himself. As he preached publicly, um, nothing was secret, but everything was manifest before them. When Christ preached, he didn't preach in private, but he preached in public, and everything was manifest to them and all his teachings. And the teachings of the Lord Jesus were far greater than that of Jonah. Jonah went and he preached and said, this city will be destroyed in 40 days and that's it. But Christ came and he teached them with wisdom and analogies and parables and miracles, many ways of teaching them. But they didn't respond. One, Jonah's uh, preaching was a preaching of, of judgment. But Christ's preaching was that of mercy, forgiveness, returning to God, patience, mercy, all the beautiful things we like to hear in a sermon. The last... Um, uh, a way perhaps that this was uh, seeking a sign or this is an evil generation was the shame. They respond, They did not respond to what they had already received. <clears throat> what do I mean when they say that what they received? They had already the commandments and the prophets and the prophets and the prophecies and everything. They had the commandments and what the Messiah would look like when he comes. They had already received it. But even in knowing what it would look like when the Lord Christ came, they still didn't receive him nor his message. And this was this idea of you know repentance for them was something that was repeated with all of the prophets. And he even rebuked them and says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who killed the prophets and those who were sent to her. Right? So this is what they were doing. And this is what, in the Lord's eyes, made them worse than the pagans. At least the pagans had the excuses they didn't know. But you know, and we didn't repent. I fear, my beloved, the same what might even fall on us. We hear many times Abuna speaking about we need to repent and we need to confess and we need to change you know, things in our life. But how, how many times does it fall on deaf ears? How many of us have gone a year or more without confession? 
it ought not to be this way. We should be confessing regularly, every one, two months, you know, three at most. But it's once every year, once every two, three years, or only when I feel like I did something really horrible. And all the other sins that we commit from day to day aren't really horrible, so not worth confessing and receiving guidance on. It ought not to be this way. <clears throat> and then the Lord said what? He said these same people who didn't receive the word or these non-believers will come and judge those who believed. He said the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of south was the queen of Sheba who came from about 1,200 miles or so, to hear simply the wisdom of Solomon. She heard that Solomon was very wise, so she planned a trip to go 600 miles one way and 600 miles simply to hear his wisdom. And she did, and she benefited, and she appreciated it. But what was the effort she was willing to do to get to Solomon and just to simply to hear his wisdom? But Christ came with wisdom that far exceeded that of Solomon. Solomon imparted nice sayings, but he didn't impart any grace to the believers to allow them to obey these beautiful, you know, uh, uh, words of wisdom. Actually, Solomon himself couldn't obey the words of wisdom that he penned, or he said. But Christ did both. He was able to obey the commandment fully and give us the grace to also obey this commandment. But yet the response was, rather than receive the Lord and his teaching and try to apply it, they wanted to destroy him and silence the truth in him. The Ninevites, again, also the same thing. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, but uh, and it was a, a message of judgment, as I said, but Christ's message was that of forgiveness and healing and mercy and so on, and they repented. Then he concludes the passage by a warning. <clears throat> and he says, No one has lit uh, a lamp puts it in a secret place and under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see uh, the light. Back then, they didn't have like the electricity like we do, and they'd have the light in the middle of the room with a fan and all of this. So they would have a lampstand, and they'd just find the highest area in the room and put it there. If, if you had like a dresser or something, they'd put it on top of the dresser, so that way it's the highest place, so it gives light to as much as uh, the room as possible. If you can think about it, when we lose power, this is kind of how it is. If we you know, want to put the light at the highest place, so then when it radiates down, it illuminates the whole room. Christ is the lamp. He is the light of the world. He ought to have been propped up in the homes of the Jews and our homes and talked about and obeyed and honored and worshipped because he is the light of the world. And then he says, consider the light that is in you. When he says the light that is in you, this is in reference because it governs the whole body as he described. The light that is in us is our mind and our heart. Right? Our mind and our heart. So he says when your heart and mind are good, then your whole body will be good, will follow, and we'll be full of light. And what was the whole body here? It's our words and our actions and our thoughts. Right? So when the mind and heart are okay and are good, you'll find our words, actions, and thoughts also will be good. And on the same side, when our 
mind and our heart are evil, the whole body will follow. And notice he says here, he doesn't say, um, uh, uh, he doesn't say that your whole body will be bad, but he says the whole body will be evil, which is a stronger word than just simply bad. Because if I remind you, he was speaking about how this generation was an evil generation. And what made this generation evil is what he already said. Number one is that they wanted to be the master. That made this generation evil. They lied to themselves and believed it. This made this generation evil and they denied the truth. They rejected Christ and his commandments and this made that generation evil. So when he said once we get away from these and the heart and the mind become evil, then what will follow? Evil thoughts, evil deeds, and evil actions. And then he gives us this final warning. He says, therefore take heed that the light which is in you is, dar- uh, is not darkness. You might think this doesn't make sense. A light illuminates, and if there's light, there's no darkness. But remind you, he's saying, speaking here about what? Your heart and your mind. Take heed that what is going to radiate within you is not darkness. It's not evil. It's not my pride, me wanting to be the master. It's not me lying to myself coming here sitting in the pews, but then I live a completely different light, life outside. I'm not lying to myself. And rejecting, of course, Christ and his commandments. Lest when we do this, our heart and mind are not illuminated, leaving the darkness unopposed to disseminate throughout our body. As I said, this will be in our mind, words, and actions. And then he gives us, you know, the key. He says, follow the example of the uh, queen of the south or the queen of Sheba and those of the Ninevites. Number one is to repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance. The fruits worthy of repentance are showing God that my repentance is sincere. I want to develop a distaste for sin so that way if I fall, I don't like it. I want to get up out of the mire. I want to get up out of the dunge. I don't like being in sin. This is number one. For fruits worthy of repentance. And then the second is to devote yourself to the truth and seek enlightenment. Our spiritual life, my beloved, is not simply, the goal is not to stop doing bad things. But the goal is to approach the light. I can work and focus so much on not doing the bad things, but if I don't approach the light and nourish myself with the spiritual nourishment, I will never get to the light. And I will never be able to avoid the darkness either. I will just be like this hamster who is going around in circles The key is this way, but I just keep going around in circles. I want us to focus on approaching the light. If I don't pray with the Egbeya regularly, we need to do so. If I don't read scripture regularly, I need to do so. If we're not filling our mind with spiritual songs or maybe sermons, there's a plethora now of sermons all over the internet and on different applications. If I'm not feeding my mind and my heart with spiritual things, the result is the darkness will begin to invade. There's no you know, status quo. It's either we're being filled with light or the darkness will begin to creep in. And we've experienced, all of experience, you know, the result of that. May God grant us to live a repentant life. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.